I'm a real supersonic, pass the ball like magic. Sean Kim or Larry Bird, the old school Mavericks. I got basketball cards, gonna sing a little more. I got basketball cards, now enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Godfather Nate Milton. And right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, show me your basketball cards. In the spirit of the great names of the past, like Dikembe Mutombo, and not Michael Jordan, but Baby Jordan, Harold Miner, Drazen, Arvidas, J.R. Ryder bringing that East Bay funk. I bring to you the man who met World Be Free and Danny Ferry, your host and my brother, Zaire, also known as Bandana Z. Hello, friends. What's going on? This is another episode of my basketball cards. Once again, you know how we do it. 1989-90 Hoop Series Editions. Back to back to back to back. We're just talking about the Hoop Series for right now. We're getting lost, digging inside the box and getting out these old basketball cards, beautiful basketball cards from the 1989-90 Hoop Series. A big shout out to Paris Alexa, the person that sings the theme song, and Brother Nate Milton. The person who does an introduction to this show. I am Zaire, if I hadn't said it before. And today's player that we are going to talk about is one who we reviewed in a previous episode. Uh, one of my favorite players of all time. And, um, you know, I previously said that this player was better. The best player in the NBA from his country of all time. And a lot of people don't agree with it, but... You ask me who the best German player in NBA history is, I say Detlef Schrempf. I think Detlef Schrempf is a Hall of Famer and is better than Dirk Nowitzki, hands down. <laughs> um, but we're talking about his 1989-90 season when Dirk was a wee young boy and wasn't in the NBA yet. Uh, Detlef Schrempf, on the other hand, was a pro uh, he was drafted in 1985, which was a very talented draft. A lot of people talk about the 1984 draft, which they should. Uh, you got Michael Jordan and John Stockton and those people um, in that draft. Uh, Charles Barkley as well. Just a great draft in 84. But 85 was a was a really strong NBA draft as well. And uh, when you look at the talents that came out of that draft, um, the top two that stand out glaringly, Patrick Ewing and Karl Malone. And um, in that draft, uh, Patrick Ewing was draft number one. Karl Malone was actually drafted number 13. In between those guys, uh, at number eight, you had Detlef Schrempf. Detlef Schrempf, who was drafted out of Washington. Um, just a versatile player who could play uh, small forward, power forward. Um, sometimes, you know, actually he was a very good ball handler, a very good passer. Uh, he was, you know, could be a point forward in a way. Um, some coaches and, and, um, experts thought that he could even possibly be an effective shooting guard as well in the NBA and his size, strength, and IQ were some of his best assets, uh, six foot 10, Six foot nine on a bad day, uh, but a six ten listed, 
235 pounds, and just gifted, uh, ready to play in the NBA. Um, I wouldn't say immediately, but as immediately as you can get. Um, he was drafted by the Mavericks, and at that time, the Mavericks had a loaded squad in 85. They had a lot of great players. And, you know, he was kind of like buried in a rotation. He was he was a role player there. Um, but I think that he probably could have contributed on a team that was not as good as a rookie and been OK uh, with his skills and his his uh, mind, his basketball uh, IQ. I think he would have been fine as a rookie somewhere um, that that really needed him to play a lot of minutes. Dallas didn't. But, you know, he did contribute here and there. He really made his mark when he was um, when he became an Indiana Pacer. And let me get that year when he went to Indiana. He was actually sent to Indiana uh, during the 88-89 season. He played 37 games with the Mavs and then uh, 32 games with the Pacers. And he started 12 of those 32 games in 88-89. Uh, that's the year before we are featuring. And for fun, let's see who he was traded for. I'm, you know, I probably used to know this stuff off the top of my head, but right now I don't. So I'm kind of learning with you guys as we do the show. Um, Detlef Shrimp was traded for, if I can get there, because it's all the way at the bottom of this page. Uh, so let's see, 1989, February 21st. He was traded by the Mavericks with a 1992nd round pick, which ended up becoming Antonio Davis. For any of you who are 1990s Indiana Pacers fans, you know about Antonio Davis and Dale Davis. So basically, the Mavericks traded Antonio Davis and Detlef Shrimp to the Pacers for Herb Williams. And I'm going to tell you this, and much respect to Herb Williams, who uh, was a sound and solid NBA center. Uh, very good college center, uh, had a long career, played forever, and is probably still coaching somewhere in the NBA. But you're telling me you're giving me a young Detlef Shrimp, and eventually I'll get Antonio Davis, and all I got to do is give you an aging center in Herb Williams. I will take it. <laughs> I will take it. And that that's 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 a trade that lets you see the directions of both teams. The Mavericks were already going downhill. Um well, let me not say yeah, yeah. They were already going downhill in like 87, 88, those years they still had something. When they got rid of Mark Aguirre, and um that was the beginning of the end. But definitely trading a person like I mean, they had Dale Ellis on their team. They had um Detlef Shrimp, they had um, Roy Tarpley, who ended up having a lot of issues. And I think if Roy Tarpley was able to keep himself together uh, with his chemical dependencies and everything, things would have turned out a bit different for the Mavericks because he really affected winning for them. <clears throat> but to give up Detlef and eventually Antonio Davis uh, for Herb Williams, that's a rough one right there. And you saw like from that, the Pacers went up and the Mavericks went down hard. Um, prior to the 88 or the 89-90 season, actually, um, the Pacers, J 
just they weren't um, respected in the NBA. They struggled. I remember being a little kid, like you rarely even heard of the Pacers. They never really made the playoffs in most of the 1980s. Um, they suffered. Their star player early on in the 80s was Clark Kellogg, and, and he ended up having a lot of uh, injury issues, so he could never really get it going. Um, but he was a really great player for them. So uh, you want to say 1980-81, the Pacers made the playoffs at a 44-38 record, and they made it again in 86-87 season when they went 500. Between those years, they were an under 500 team, uh, mostly winning less than 30 games. Um, and then 87-88 came. They went backwards and went 38-44. Didn't make the playoffs until 89-90 when Detlef Shrimp arrives. Um, and all of a sudden, you've got something. So the last part of the... First year he got there, the Pacers, you know, they weren't really good. They went 28 and 54. He was there um, a little bit, a little less than half of 88, 89, but 89, 90. Detlef is there. Pacers start winning. They go 42 and 40. First time over 500 since 80, 81 season. And they make the playoffs. Um, let's look at some of Detlef's best games from that season. When you look at Detlef Shrimp, once again, you got a player who is going. I think he led the Pacers with an average of 7.9 boards a game that season. He was the um, third leading scorer in like 16 a game, and he was third in assists at 3.2 assists per game. You're getting this from a guy that's a power forward slash small forward, not a point guard or a shooting guard. And... Um, if we look at the 89-90 season for Detlef, he had 24 double-doubles that year. And um, his best game was, or scoring-wise, was a game against the Miami Heat where he had 29 points, 14 rebounds. Shot 8 of 14 that day and um, hit 57% of his shots. Now, keep in mind, the Miami Heat, during that time was a, I think they were in their second season because the Heat and the um, Charlotte Hornets, I want to say, debuted the same year. My mind, I used to know this stuff off the top of my head. My mind is so foggy these days on uh, <laughs> NBA history. Um, let me check. In 80, yeah, 88. 89 was the Heat's first season. So 89-90 would be their second season. Um, the Heat were 15-67. and 67. And then the next year they went 18-64. Uh, and 64. They really struggled coming out the gate. But the Heat uh, actually, I think, out of the uh, franchises that were um, expansion teams during the 88-89 and 89-90 seasons, and and if I'm remembering right, it's the Hornets, Heat, Timberwolves, and I think there's one more team, and I don't know why that team is escaping me right now. But um out of those teams, I think the Heat was the first that made the playoffs. 
And I want to say the Hornets was the first to actually win a playoff series. Um, so he got things together later on. But we look at this game right here. Let's see who's playing. We got uh, Detlef coming off the bench, scoring 29 points, going 8 for 14, as we said, 14 rebounds. That led all players in scoring and in rebounding. Um, also on his team, the rifleman Chuck Person, who was never afraid to take a shot. 10 for 13, just blazing, going 3 for 5 from three-point territory. He had 25 points at eight rebounds. Uh, Reggie Miller played in that game, 15 points, uh, shot 5 of 11. And, you know, during this time period, you know, everybody thinks about the Pacers and they think, oh, it's Reggie Miller, Reggie Miller, Reggie Miller. But in the early 90s and or let's say late 80s, in the late 80s especially, it was Chuck Person and Reggie Miller. It wasn't just Reggie Miller's team. Um, Chuck Person had the green light. I think he was more like the alpha on the team at the time. And once Chuck Person was dealt away or either... I think he was, he, he was, I think he was traded. Yeah. Once he was dealt away, um, it more so became Reggie Miller's team. Um, so yeah, so you got those, those guys doing their thing. Um, and for the heat, who's on that team? We got Glenn Rice, who definitely, um, was an all-star caliber player, very talented, won a national championship in, in, uh, college at Michigan. He only scored 12 points that game, shot five for 10. Um, we got the number one scorer for the Heat, Terry Davis, who was a reserve player in the NBA for a while. He scored 15 points. I think he was a first round draft pick, if I'm not wrong, but he had 15 points and 10 rebounds that day. Uh, but more so, just a reserve player didn't really um, put up big numbers in his career. Um, Ronnie Sykley was a top pick for the Heat. We mentioned him on a previous episode when we talked about um, Rex Chapman and how the Heat, want, uh, not the Heat, the Hornets fans wanted Ronnie Sykley because they felt they had enough guards. They already had Dale Curry and Muggsy Bogues, and they are like, yo, we need a big man, and they wanted Ronnie Sykley. And instead, they got Rex Chapman. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> you know, so if you want to hear how that went, go back in the archives and listen to that episode. But, yeah, um, so that was March 20th, 1990. Let's see what else we got here. Detlef Shrimp, uh, big games from Detlef in 89-90 season. We got... Another game where he went up against the Detroit Pistons. Woo, they got smoked by 23. <laughs> they ended up getting swept by Detroit in the playoffs as well. Uh, zero to three. It was the best three out of five back in those days. But in that game against the Pistons, while the rest of his teammates didn't show up, Detlef held his own. And Detlef had, and this is, this is big because... The Pistons had a very, very physical and intimidating front court, and a lot of forwards and centers would struggle. We we talked about uh, in a previous episode um, where David Robinson went up against the Pistons, and 
the coach of the Pistons at the time, Larry Brown, said that David Robinson looked like a high school player. And you're talking about David Robinson is like, you know, one of the top 50 greatest players of all time. And the, of course, he was a rookie at the time. But, you know, the Pistons could make really, really good front court, court players um, a little apprehensive because they played so physical and, and they would put you down on the ground if they needed to. So when these two teams met, this was January 5th, 1990, and the Pacers uh, fell to 19 and 12. So they entered the game 19 and 11, which is a pretty good record. Uh, the Pistons were 21 and 11 after the game. So the teams had close to identical records, but the, uh, the result wasn't identical as Indiana went on the road and was thumped by Detroit 122 to 99. Um, yeah, it wasn't close. Uh, <laughs> so Detlef actually had the best game for the Pacers, 26 points, 12 rebounds, went 9 for 14 um, from the field, hit one of his two three-pointers. And that's another thing about Detlef, too, uh, was a solid three-point shooter. Shot more of the three as his career went on, um, like most players, because the three-point shot wasn't a big thing in a lot of players' youths when they were, um, if you play in the 80s, and, and yeah, the, in the 80s especially, when you were coming up, there was no three-point shot in high school. Uh, in many cases, there was no three-point shot in college. So uh, players developed that shot. And the game developed to rely more on that shot as years went on. Um, so, yeah, when you look at that game against the Pistons, uh, <laughs> Detlef was the only guy to score 20 points for the Pacers. Um, Chuck Person, who we mentioned, was a very, very uh, aggressive and strong shooter. That day he wasn't 3-4-11, scored 8 points. Reggie Miller, 4-7, for seven, uh, scored 12 points. And I think the second leading scorer, yeah, the second leading scorer for the Pacers that day was point guard Vern Fleming, who had 14 points, five assists, but he struggled. He shot five for 13, um, and he turned the ball over five times <laughs> along with his five assists because Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars was probably giving him the business. Um, Zeke had, Isaiah Thomas had 24 points that day, nine assists, uh, other people with great games, Mark Aguirre, who we mentioned before. Uh, 11 for 16 from the field, 26 points. That's uh, Detlef's former teammate in Dallas. And uh, so, yeah, those two guys stood out, stood out strong for the Pistons. Uh, let's see if we can find another good game for Detlef in 89-90. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's see what we got here. Um, Actually, when you scroll down and see... um. Well, I'm scrolling now. You can't scroll down. But <laughs> we're getting all this information from Basketball Reference, by the way. So shout out to Basketball Reference. What a great site. Um, Detlef, during the playoffs, once again, against Detroit, showed up. His team, um, his team struggled. They lost uh, all three games by double digits, uh, 12 points in the first game, lost by 13 in the second game, and lost by 12 again in the third game. Uh, but Detlef came to play and he had 26 points in game one, shot nine for 16 from the field, seven point or seven rebounds, two assists. Um, so yeah, big, 
big playoff debut by Detlef, and he scored 15 in the second game, shooting 7 for 16, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, and in the third and final game, shot 7 for 15, made all 6 of his free throws, um, and scored 20 points in the third playoff game. Uh, Detlef only missed one free throw during the whole series. He made what, 15 of 16 free throws, which is very impressive uh, for a big man during that time or a, po- a front court player let me say that you know plays power forward um so yeah Detlef was a key reason why the Pacers turned things around um he had let's see if we can find another game another strong game his most rebounds that he grabbed that season he had a game against the Milwaukee Bucks that the Pacers lost by five. But in that game, he had 18 points, 19 rebounds, five assists. Um, And he had another game, 15 points, 15 rebounds. He had two 15-15 games and um, this 18-19 game, which is almost a 20-20 game. And the two 15-15 games, he actually, his team actually won. Once, one was against Cleveland and one was against the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, um, going to take a quick peek at this 18-19 game, though. This is on April 4th, 1990. Detlef Schrempf, um, the Pacers were led by Reggie Miller, 31 points. Um, he shot 7 of 18, 38%, but he made 15 of 16 free throws, so Reggie was knocking them down from the line. But yeah, Delph had 18 points, 19 rebounds, five assists, one steal, and um, he shot seven of 17. What was going on with the the Bucks that day? The Bucks actually, uh, after the 89-90 season, things got a little rough for the Bucks. Uh, <laughs> they, I want to say, made the playoffs maybe one time after this until like the 2000s. Um, yeah, the Bucks weren't that hot after the eight in the 80s. The Bucks were one of the winningest teams of the decade. Um, when you talk about the Central Division, they dominated the Central Division like the book, like the Bulls did in the 90s. But the Bulls went on to win championships. The Bucks' problem is that they kept struggling, they kept running into the wall of the Celtics or the Sixers and had a hard time overcoming those teams. But uh, in this game, Alvin Robertson is a player that we probably will do an episode on in the future. 30 points, 7 uh, rebounds, 6 assists, 1 steal, shot 12 of 17. Alvin Robertson was just, on the defensive side especially, was just a tough point guard. But he could also put the ball in a basket and dish it out as well. One of the most underrated point guards in the history of the NBA. Um, let's see, Jack Sigma, who uh, is known for being a member of the 79 Supersonic Squad. He's now a Hall of Famer as well. 19 points that game. Uh, didn't shoot too well. He's really known for his shooting. 5 of 15. Um, and then the Bucks, Jay Humphreys. <laughs> One day we'll probably do an episode of him as well. I used to love playing with him on NBA. Uh, what is it? Not NBA Live. Um Bulls versus Lakers, the video game. I think that was it. And the Bucks were on that game. And Jay Humphreys, man, you could kill with him. 
Um, who else we got? Brad Lowhouse, 19 points. Fred Roberts, 15 points. So, yeah, the um, Bucks got a lot of contributions from a lot of guys that day. But, yeah, as we uh, start to wrap things up, uh, Detlef Shrimp is just one of the most gifted European players especially, but I just think I think he's one of the most gifted players in NBA history. Um just a guy during his time period, if you're six foot ten, you weren't asked to be um much of a passer or um a bit of a floor general in your own way. And he was able to do that uh just to kind of glance at things that he did after the 89-90 season. Dela Shrimp was a three-time all-star 92-93 with the Pacers, he made his first All-Star team. Um, and also in five seasons with the Pacers, 354 games, he averaged 18.2 points, 9.2 rebounds, and 4.4 assists, which is really good. Considering he's on the same team with Reggie Miller, Chuck Person, people who love to shoot. And he found a way to get his and to also distribute and be efficient. Uh, he was a 51% shooter uh, overall with the Pacers. Um, also, um, and, and he was a guy that could nail from, from the free throw line, as we mentioned, 81% with the Pacers in those five seasons. After he left the Pacers, he became a two-time All-Star with the Seattle Supersonics, helping them get to the NBA Finals during the 90. 90- 596 season. I think I said that right. <laughs> uh, once again, all these years are starting to run together um, in my brain, brain, brain. Um, but I, I believe it was 95, 96 when the Bulls and Supersonics made it to the finals against each other. Um, if I'm wrong, correct me at Rebel Life Media on Twitter. But Yes, Detlef was an all-star in 94, 95, and 96, 97 with the Seattle Supersonics. Once again, a contributor, a very important part of Seattle's success. Um, and Seattle had, you know, a lot of winning teams during that time period where he was there. Um, averaged, he averaged 16.6 points per game in six seasons with the Supersonics. 6.3 rebounds, four assists, shot, uh, what, 41% from three while he was with the Supersonics and 49% from the field overall, 80% from the free throw line. When you talk about, everybody talks about Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, um, but Detlef Schrempf was a very, very important player on those teams. Um, he could post you up. He could defend. He could. He was tough. Um, you know, just he could do whatever needed to be done um, in in a basketball game to help you win. So, uh, all that being said, just can't praise Detlef Shrimp's talents enough as far as his ability to affect winning. Uh, we were talking about the 85 draft class and we talk about win shares, which is a important statistic to a lot of people who like analytics. And, um, you know, with analytics, I, I dig it, but it's not everything. But when they talk about win shares, it's the estimated 
number of wins contributed by a player. And when you talk about the 85 draft class, Carl Malone is by far the guy with 234.6 on his win share total. Patrick Ewing is number two out of the 85 draft class with 126.4. Terry Porter of the Portland Trailblazers, who helped them get to two NBA finals, 110.4. And at number four, ahead of guys like A.C. Green, who won multiple championships, Chris Mullen, who was a big star with the Warriors, Charles Oakley, who was a very important piece with the New York Knicks, New York Knicks run in the um, 80s and 90s, or 90s especially. Um, Joe Dumars is another one who won two championships. Ahead of those guys is Detlef Shrimp with a win share of 109.5. And um, it was just, you know, if you take being drafted at number eight in that draft, um, he's the fifth leading scorer out of that draft behind, once again, Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, Joe Dumars, uh, when you talk about rebounding, he was fifth behind Carmelo, Charles Oakley, Patrick Ewing, A.C. Green of the L.A. Lakers. Uh, and in assists, he was sixth uh, behind Terry Porter, Carmelo, Joe Dumars, Spud Webb, and Michael Adams. Detlef Shrimp. I don't think at any time in his career was the number one guy on his team. And it wasn't because of talent. It wasn't because of a lack of talent. It was because he played on teams, once again, with guys who liked to shoot. Uh, once again, Reggie Miller, Chuck Person. Uh, he was also on a team with Rick Smits, who, you know, he was a very, very much a team player, but he needed his touches as well. Um, and then when you go to Seattle, you're on a team with Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Percy Hawkins, uh, you know, uh, Sam Perkins is another one, you know, guys that like to get it up in the air. Um, one year they even had Kendall Gill there. So, you know, Detlef played with a lot of talented guys who liked to get the ball up in the air and he still found a way to contribute and not step on toes, but help teams get better. Um, finally, Detlef finished his career with the Portland Trailblazers uh, after many years in Seattle. I think his final season in Seattle was 98-99, where he averaged 15 a game in this. I think that was the strike season. He played every game that year. And the final two seasons he played as a reserve, kind of starting off, kind of finishing off like he started <laughs> with the Mavericks. Uh, he played with the Portland Trailblazers. And that those teams were man stacked. Um, ninety nine ninety the ninety nine two thousand team especially especially excuse me had a hiccup there. Um, was a team that probably should have won the NBA championship. And um, he was a reserve on that team. They fell short. They they had a, a double digit lead in the fourth quarter to the Lakers and choked it away, missing shot after shot after shot. Uh, but Detlef had, uh, he averaged 7.5 that season. And in his final season, I think he had a lot of injuries. He only played 26 games. He averaged four points a game. It was very limited that year. However, um, just a, a strong career, a Hall of Fame worthy career, I think. Um, you know, when you consider, <clears throat> I, I respect the Basketball Hall of Fame. I think a lot of people, 
They don't like how you get a lot of people in the Hall of Fame because of their contributions in other countries. But I think that's very important because the game is as global of a game outside of, of, of football, which we call soccer in America. Um, basketball is global. Um, and you got to respect, I think, people's contributions in building the game in other countries because everybody don't get to see the NBA live. And, you know, some people I remember hearing about people watching the NBA finals on a VHS tape or seeing a rebroadcast months after the, the games were over. So you had you needed people in, in these home countries to kind of develop the game. And so you have people like Dino Raja, a former Celtic and a player that I enjoy watching um, that qualify for the Hall of Fame mostly because of his overseas impact. Um, Detlef Schrempf spent most of his time in the NBA, but as a player who was a, a German-born player who played during a time when people thought Europeans were too soft, who contributed, who helped teams get to the NBA Finals, who... Um, you know, was a constant, um, consistent uh, p- participant on his teams. Three-time All-Star, 94-95 All-NBA selection, two-time six-man of the year. He was decorated, you know, um, and successful on some successful teams that did a lot of winning. Uh, I think that has to be respected as much as players who were in other countries, um, you know, had Detlef contributed, you know, I mean, look at what, if you compare him to Dino Raja, and once again, I'm not knocking Dino Raja, but if you compare him to Dino Raja, Dino Raja played a handful of years in the NBA and um, did most of his, had probably most of his success outside of the NBA, while Detlef did the opposite. He had most of his, all of his success in the NBA, and so shouldn't be penalized for that. He should definitely be rewarded because he came here and showed that Europeans can play um, in this league and be successful. You know, that, uh, Drazen was another one. Drazen Petrovic, um, Sarunas Marshallonis. <clears throat> um, you know, maybe if Delov doesn't do what he d- did, maybe you don't have the other Germans who came in afterwards, um, no, most notably um, Dirk Nowitzki. Um, who just kind of like <laughs> took European basketball um, in the NBA to a different level. Um, when you look at um, other, there were there was another player, Kiki Vandeweghe, as as well was born in Germany, <clears throat> and you know right now you have other players who are in the league like Daniel Tice. Um, who was born in Germany, who was contributing on teams. Um, technically, I didn't know this. Sean Bradley was born in Germany. I didn't know that. I did not know that. Um, he was born in Landstuhl, Germany. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> six, Sean Bradley, man. Shout out to Sean Bradley. Um, who I think they say he's... Um, not in the best of health these days. I'm not sure. Um, I don't believe rumors all the time, but I think he, he is struggling right now. So all the best to him. But this show is about my man, Detlef Shrimp. And um, thank you all for listening to my basketball cards. If you have any questions, any uh, requests or whatever, uh, reach us. 
at Rebel Life Media on Twitter. You guys have the best day ever.